Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to The Futurist with your hosts, Ben Rohde and Alex Lightman. Each week, we feature a specific aspect of our collective future with action steps you can take to make your own future better and brighter. Our guest experts are top futurists in their field who will remind you that anything is possible. Give us 90 minutes and we'll give you the future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Futurist. I'm Ben Rohde. And uh, say hello, my co-host, Alex Lightman. Hello. Uh, good to see you, and uh, Merry Christmas. It's uh, um, the day before Christmas Eve. And uh, can we talk about uh, the the origin of Christmas for a second? Uh, yeah, yeah. Then we'll introduce our amazing guest, Dennis Yu. But yeah, let's let's do that. I, I always love hello, Dennis. the origin. Nice to meet you. Hey, hey. Good morning, guys. <laughs> cool. so since so it's what, almost Christmas, Christmas, this is the December 23rd. And December 25th was the day that the Romans celebrated the sun. The, the, they call it the cult of Sol Invictus, but I don't know what's called like about think, appreciating the sun. It's like right there. And it's the, um, the most useful object that we have in the solar system. Without it, we would be cold and freezing in the dark and flying off. The and, sun's pretty uh, good to do, us. Who knows where in this space. So I think that one day a year for the sun is uh, in, in line with good mental health. Yeah, I agree. And then the, the, the most of what we celebrate for Christmas in terms of the trappings, the uh, the trees and the snow and all that, obviously that's not from the Middle East. That's from Germany. So we have a Roman-German uh, invention uh, that we'll be celebrating tomorrow without realizing it. I find that extremely amusing. It, uh, so one thing that, uh, that we also don't realize is how many jobs are going to be replaced by robots and artificial intelligence, and automation, and efficiency. And our guest today will be telling us about that. So what, um, what's the, Mr. Yu, what's the big picture of what's going to be happening with the employment scene worldwide? Um, I guess I'd like to start off with some statistics that I heard, um, that I read in a book called The Coming Jobs War. Um, hmm. They said that there are, so there are 7.5 billion people in the world and there are 5 billion people who uh, can have full-time jobs. They're, they're of the right age, they have the health, et cetera, and that 3 billion people want jobs. They want full-time jobs, and that only 1.2 billion people have jobs, and that even as the population of the world goes up, it increases by the population of Germany each year, by 80 billion each year. So each year there's a new Congo or a new Germany equivalent in population. Even as this is happening, we're not creating 80 million new jobs a year. We're going to be losing millions or tens of millions of jobs a year. Can you can you tell us about this world and what it's going to be like from your perspective? And you can talk as, as long as you'd like. Well, first off, the idea of a job, the definition has changed. Because what do you do about somebody who's 
unemployed or they're looking for a job and now they're driving Uber, right? In the United States, the BLS counts that as a job. They count the students that are working part-time potentially as jobs and the people that are – I mean, there's all these definitional changes. But look, the latest stats I saw last month said that 35% of the current economy in the United States, and it may be a little bit lower in other countries – is powered by this part-time job economy, by the gig economy, by people that are creating income because they're doing Uber and Airbnb and TaskRabbit and Fancy Hands and Fiverr and Upwork and all the different kinds of systems that allow people to come together to sell their time, to sell services and tasks. And the, the stats at the World Economic Forum from a few months ago where all the leaders get together and talk about this, say that over 40% of the jobs of the folks who are in preschool right now don't even exist. So the skills are not even there. There's displacement because of automation. If you've been to a fast food restaurant, you see I was in a jack-of-the-box the the other day, and I didn't have to talk to anybody because I I ordered off the touchscreen menu. And McDonald's has a location they opened up last month that is completely automated. You don't even talk to a person. You just order on the menu and then you, you know, there's a little thing that you pick up your food from the slot. You know, a little cubby hole, the food just appears and apparently there's a robot there. There's a robot that the burger places are using that uh, generates seven hamburgers per minute. And not only is it faster and more accurate, but this robot can make things that they can't do in fast food because of the level of skill and manual labor prevents it, you know, to have something so consistent. So it's not just that a third of the cost of what you have in food is labor. It's not that everything's a third cheaper. It's that you could have dishes that otherwise couldn't even be created for a third cheaper. And this leads to, you know, Uber with the self-driving cars. A lot of people think that it's going to be a big consumer shift. The bigger shift is actually going to be in trucking first because there are, 2 million, almost 2 million truck drivers in the United States. And Budweiser delivered beer a couple months ago. Did you see that? <laughs> they they had a truck. I forgot uh, how, how far it went, but it delivered beer from one location to another, right? A giant semi with nobody in it. Wow. Which I think is hilarious, right? Yeah. Warren Buffett wrote an article about, I want to say, six or seven months ago in the Wall Street Journal talking about how the true unemployment rate has increased because there's no lack of people that want to have jobs, but they can't because they just don't have the skill. It's not just you can go to the factory and work part-time or you can go work at McDonald's or, you, you know, just the, the skill, the, the more, it's not like us versus the robots, but in some sense, the skill necessary to do work is increasing. And if that's always increasing, I actually have an economics degree. I went to the London School of Economics. Then you learn that this is not just frictional unemployment, which is, you know, people that are uh, from people that are moving or, or, or cyclical unemployment where the economy goes up and down, structural unemployment. And structural unemployment is permanent unemployment. It means that the jobs that were taken away aren't coming back. And wow. you'll hear a lot of Silicon Valley are, and they live in a bubble too. They believe that, well, Technology actually creates more jobs because for every one robot job you have, you, you got to have people that repair the robot and people that, you know, write programs for the for the machines and the software and the algorithms and the, you know, the Googles, Facebooks and all these kinds of guys. But those companies 
and the tech space are, and I'm, I'm a tech person. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not the kind of person who hates technology and believes that, you know, we should all be Amish or something like that. The, the numbers show that these companies are net job killers, right? They, they are, they're, you're, you're losing. That's where the, the gain in the economy comes from. That's where the net, um, Prices go down. You have, you have deflation in pricing and technology, right? Because, you know, hardware gets cheaper, and every year your computer or TV screen gets cheaper. The reason that happens is because jobs are being taken away. And that's not a bad thing. A lot of people see that as, a, as like, scary. Like, as, as the thing gets smarter, it's going to, you know, the, the question I like to ask people is, do you think your job can be automated? And a lot of people, no, nah, no, nah, it can't be. You know, but they, they have no idea how smart the robots and automation has become, right? I would ask you guys the question, just to kick it off by looking in reverse, what are the jobs that can't, that you think can't be automated? Sure, I'll, I'll give you a few. Um, I think the, writing a novel, a very complex novel, um, there are num- no, there are not that many novelists around. I think that someone doing... Um, I want to say psychological counseling. Now, I understand, and I'm actually working on virtual reality and uh, um, artificial intelligence, but somebody who's counseling, like I'll I'll talk about Ben um, and Jen Rohde, they're unique, Mm -hmm. and it's not just their information, but it's the trust that people have, and it's the back-and-forth dialogue that can't be programmed in, and it's channeled information. It's information that's going to be unexpected. Like every time I talk to Jen, mm-hmm. which is less than talking to Ben, uh, but every time I do, I feel like I've gotten some genuinely new, fresh insight that would have only come from Jen, that has her special signature. And I think that somebody, uh, now this may sound odd, but there are many jobs in food preparation, and I think that a lot of people like to have people cook for them. Um, I remember mm-hmm. going to the home of the person who I met at the same time I met with Ben, at the, the home of of David Comfort, and we were talking mm-hmm. about Rise, the community in Costa Rica that um, mm-hmm. that Ben helped him to find. And he had this lovely person preparing the meal who had such good energy and was talking about yoga and was good with his, his daughter, Kira. And she just seemed like, you know, to offer so many things besides just, just quote-unquote, cooking food. So I think anywhere where your personal energy and compassion and love um, and where you want to feel cared for and looked after and not feel lonely. Um, I've, I've heard of exactly one human being, and I heard her this morning, who is a, a robosexual, who has a, a relationship mm. with a robot and wants to marry that robot. But Whoa. I can't believe, and, and, and somebody said, well, that's one expensive vibrator. But I think that wherever you <laughs> want to have bot. love, that, that, that wherever you... Well, it was a woman with a male robot. Oh, um, but yeah. I think wherever you want to feel love, you want to feel appreciated, you want to feel um, adored, uh, it's not that's not going to be done by uh, AI or robots. Um, yeah, ben, I, what, I would add to your that, answer. I would add to that nannies. I mean, we have people taking care of our kids that obviously can't happen with a robot. And, it, and if it can, if, if, if this was a trick question and you, you have answers to all this, Dennis, I'm going to be really surprised. Um <laughs> Do you, what do you what do you think about this? Can nannies and wait? I think that you need a, a longer a longer answer than that one. But I just want to say absolutely. <laughs> well, you, you there are parents. Answer. 
<laughs> there, there <are laughs> parents, but there are parents who are going to definitely want to have robot nannies because they're going to be yeah. much more responsible. I mean, anybody who sees these online videos on YouTube of the nanny cam and what the, the nannies are doing, mm-hmm. having sex with their boyfriends or girlfriends and doing drugs and getting drunk and, you know, having parties and would definitely want to have a robot instead of a human. So that's definitely not in my category of not replaceable. Well, you don't have kids. Um, as somebody with two kids, uh, my I, I would have different concerns. Um, I mean, I'm not worried about. I don't have kids, but I know where robots are going, and I know that. Um, so I guess we'll I'll, we'll have to meet halfway on that. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm just so I know my nannies. I'm I'm not afraid of my nannies doing anything like that. Um, and, and I mean, I, I here's the thing. Like this is this is so new that it's hard to really say what a robot would look like watching my kids. You know, I mean, the, the only robots that I've seen are from like commercials in mm-hmm. Japan where there's a robot that, you know, can kind of respond to what you're doing. You know, I mean, obviously I haven't seen the type of robots that you've seen, Alex, at your, at, uh, well, well, your conferences and all I, that. When you say that it's new, I think that, that it's important to say where robots come from. Robots have been around since 1859 in pulp fiction, in these dime novels that, you know, at the time might have cost a penny. The very first robot ever mentioned in fiction was the steam man of the plains. And he's basically a cool looking robot. He would look, you know, he looks kind of like Gort from the the original, uh, the day the earth stood still. And you know what he's used for? He's used as a self-driving car. He basically takes the kid around all over so the kid doesn't have to walk everywhere. Is that not like seeing the future in 1859? That's pretty but cool. here's the thing. That's pretty cool. Um, and then robots were named uh, as it's an acronym. Robots are actually an acronym of Rossum's Universal Robots, and it's from the Czech word for slave. Um, and, you know, they're basically meant to be automated slaves for us. But there are a lot of people who've grown up with the concept of robots. And in Japan... They're they're being used so often for the elderly that uh, robots, you know, and they have a very good record of care for the elderly, and it's going to get into the millions. And so if a robot has been caring for the the child's grandparents, I don't really think you're going to have as big a problem with it taking care of your your kids, you know, if it's been taking care of your, your parents for a while. And also, let's be honest, you and Jen are really, really in demand. You have thousands of people who value your advice. You have thousands of people who look to you for guidance and for counseling. And not everybody has your social skills or your, your deep insights in the human condition. There are a lot of people who you know, need to, to work and they want to have less expensive child care. So maybe you'll have your kids go to a daycare where you have three members of staff for, you know, 100 kids or something, and then one of those becomes a robot. But then they also offer the service in the evening and at night as part of a graveyard shift or something for people who work at night. Um, so, you know, robots are going to fill niches that human beings don't don't want to fill. Like in Chicago, the murder rate is so high, I just can't imagine that people would want to go out in the night in bad neighborhoods, you know, and I could see that for inability to get a, a person to do that job. So I believe that robots are going to start filling niches in and making people comfortable with them by taking the jobs that humans want, building up a track record, and then they're going to go grab all the jobs that humans do want. 
Right. So I, I'm kind of thinking ahead of, you know, when I think about parenting, I think ahead 20, 30, 40 years. Like, how is this going to affect my kid in 40 years? Because, you know, we've worked with so many grown women all the way up to, I think our oldest client was 76, right? Who was still talking about stuff that happened to her when she was a kid, right? And so I'm just thinking, like, what's going to, like, what's the trend going to be in therapy 30, 40 years from now when kids are talking about how their parents left them at home with a robot all day? And they didn't have any real human interaction other than the robot and then their parents when they were home. And like, what happens if the robot runs out of batteries or what, what happens if there's a, if there's a, um, an emergency situation that the robot doesn't know how to handle? Like these are just as a parent with two kids that, that, that I really care for, this isn't just going to be like a novel thing where I'm going to say, Oh, that sounds cool. Let's give it a try. You know, I'm going to need answers to all of these. Um, before I make that kind of a, a commitment or investment, but um, anyway, uh, <laughs> Dennis, what, what do you what do you think about all this? Like, where what, what's tell, tell me about this? And I, I know what you guys are doing yeah. is so important because there is the human interaction part, and you're training kids to to do uh, jobs that you know are, are just so unique. So, what are your thoughts? I've been thinking about this for over two decades. And like Alex, I've come to the conclusion that robots are an assist. They, they are slave-like doing things that you don't want to do. And while they're not very smart right now in terms of being able to, you know, a, a Roomba or, you know, an Alexa or a Siri, a lot of these are seen as fembots. Because, and it's funny because if you have a, a male robot voice versus a female robot voice, you can see all the differences that occur with how you might treat them and how they would respond, which is a whole other issue and, you know, the rape culture that's underlying it. I don't want to go into all that kind of stuff. But I see that in particular for the listeners of this show, if you are a personal, a personal brand, a public figure, you're helping others transform, make a difference. The human touch that Alex talks about, the hardest part to truly automate, even though I can give you a few examples that are approaching the Turing test where you're not quite sure if you're talking to a robot. Google had some stuff they released recently where the robot's writing fiction and poetry. I don't know if you guys have seen that. And, it, and professionals are having trouble telling whether a human or a robot wrote that, right? So I don't want to use that as the benchmark because we will be there in a couple of years. Right, I would and rather Watson, say... Watson created a, a film trailer. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, Watson... Watson, IBM Watson created yeah. a film tra- trailer. Did you see that? Yeah. It's well, good, film too. Trailer, but I've seen other stuff with Watson, yeah. 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 But I don't want to go into too much into AI and VR. I can tell you about when we went to visit Oculus, at, uh, which is you know part of Facebook and the stuff that they've shown us and what I think about that. But what it means for us here to, to make it a little bit more practical is that it's not the robot of the Jetsons that we need to be thinking about in the future. It's the logic that in some cases can be anthropomorphized into a thing that can have flesh-like, can look human. That can, you know, It's not that it's looking human. It's that there is logic that assists in solving problems that can live everywhere. And if you have, and we all do, everyone on the show, we, we all have some kind of energy that's hard to automate or put into a robot. We have some kind of knowledge. 
that can be systematized, that by recording it in a series of courses, by having podcasts and things like this, that knowledge can be picked up by programs and then used by conversation programs so that it can diagnose various issues. It's, it, it goes all the way back to like expert systems back in like the 60s or whatever where patients would come in and the the, the system would ask a series of questions to be able, be able to narrow it down whatever the condition was. Oh, is it a dull pain or a sharp pain? Or is it, you know, what, it just all, treat it all the way down to where then a doctor could handle the very last part in terms of the diagnostics, right, to take over 90% wow. of the work. And have you guys heard of the, the Via Ferrata, for example? And then I'll, I'll give you why I think it makes sense for us in personal branding and this kind of thing. And we'll, we'll go, like, super strategic, and then I'm going to go detail tactical. But have you heard of the Via Ferrata? I haven't. In, no, I haven't. In Italy, I, I love to... If I, when I'm not in front of a computer all day, I love to climb and hike and do bouldering all across the, the world. And I always seek out these most, the most dangerous places where there's a sheer cliffs. And, and there's a, in the movie with Sylvester Stallone cliffhanger, it's filmed in the Ita- Italian Dolomites. And it's, you know, these sheer cliffs that are very dangerous, but very beautiful. Right, thousands of feet down, but you have these um, these massive views uh, in the mountains. And it used to be that only super pro climbers that were technical and had all the gear could climb these particular expert routes because they were so treacherous. And now there are, you know, Via Ferrata is Iron Road. There there are these um, iron bars that are hooked in, built into the sides of these walls so that you as an amateur with almost no gear or training can hook in at each of these different sections and then continue to clip in every 10 feet into another section. And if you fall, you only fall a couple feet, right? So you can complete something that would have taken an expert all day in a matter of an hour or two. And you know it's safe because you're clipped in at every point. You keep click, you know, when you unclip from one section and you clip into the next section, right? It's, it's not quite completely idiot-proof, but it allows for things that other people couldn't, in, you know, that couldn't be accessible to us now as possible. And I think about right. the same thing with the knowledge that we have and how we solve problems and how we overcome, even in the most soft things, the most subjective things on how do you overcome fear or how do you help somebody figure out what their goals are or how do you close a deal by, you know, training your salespeople or how do you, like, I believe all of those things can be broken down into systematic rules that you can then share if you had a vehicle to communicate that through. It's one thing to teach a robot how do you identify people and stop signs so you don't run them over in a self-driving car. It's altogether another thing to take the logic of determining how someone is feeling, to be able to ask them the right question and lead them down certain paths, and there's uh, Adobe who makes Photoshop released something, I want to say it was like a month and a half ago, where they, it's basically Photoshop for voice. They can take I a clip that. of somebody talking, right? And they can make you say words and phrases you've never said. And it's really, I mean, it fooled me, right? Yeah. But think about yeah, that. Yeah, we're about to take fake news to the next level. And with, and with, <laughs> oh, and with the, the, the new... Um, uh, 
the, the new programs where you can make it look like somebody is saying anything like the, uh, you saw the video of like Putin and George mm-hmm. Bush and it, and it makes, I mean, the, the, the person is talking and it, the, and George Bush's mouth real? is moving. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy yesterday showed me this app. I'll have to give everyone the link later, uh, but he showed me an app where all he, he pulls out his phone and he walks around somebody and, and films them. And just from that going all the way around, provided the light is okay it can recreate that person in 3D, right? And then with enough processing power, you can, re- you can animate somebody very lifelike and then put the sound on top of it to get anybody to be in any position to say anything you want in their voice just from a, a simple sound clip, which I, I find um, just unbelievable, right? So all that kind of approximation, and you add the physical pieces, you add in VR and AR, and you know, going from avatar to something a little more creepy, Right. But step back and think, what does it mean in terms of how going back to the original question of jobs? What does this mean for jobs and what does this mean for what we need to do? It means that the the bar, the big picture is that the bar is getting higher and higher so that there are the masses that won't work, that there's some kind of dignity in having a job because the man's got to provide because, you know, no one wants to be on welfare, you know, whatever. But you guys have heard of the fall, right? Fully automated luxury communism, where we're going to hit this point in 12 to 15 years, depending on which economy, where two-thirds of people plus will not be able to work. They want to work, but they flat out will not have the skills to be able to just do anything. The robot is just going to do a lot better and a lot safer. You know, the taxi cab drivers, they will not be allowed to drive because it is unsafe, it is not a right wow. to drive. They will not be allowed yeah. to drive. And think about what all the implications of that are. So there are people that flat out don't have the skills because the robots and all this are getting smarter and smarter. And the best way to predict the future is to make it. And I believe that the folks on this call, like us, you, me, you know, Ben, Alex, me, other folks that are out there as public figures, we are the ones who are both eliminating jobs and creating jobs at the same time, which is a real irony if you think of it. It's like a Schrodinger's cat kind of thing because right. we are equipping other people to increase their skills, which is staying ahead of the robot, but at the same time we are programming the AI and the machines to, to understand better. And the, the way to get ahead of the, the robots is you have to be a robot creator. Right? You have to get closer to the enemy if you want to beat the enemy. Not that the robot's the enemy, but you know, it's this kind of thing. So the, you've got to be able to share your knowledge, your mission, your story, your humanity, the, the, the ability to arouse and inspire and motivate and get people to make changes in their lives and you know, overcome. That's the kind of stuff we've got to get out there. That's why we think courses are the intermediate bridge where people are now trying to learn in the education system, which is broken for all sorts of reasons, right? And creating vocational education, having many courses that people can take online with mentorship. I don't believe in the pure Coursera or MOOC or, you know, Udemy or all these guys are friends of ours, right? Because we're all kind of in the e-learning business and making, you know, Thinkific and um, Masterclass and all the different versions of, how people can learn online in a, in a peer play model or the people that, you know, they sell their courses where, you know, the public, the um, authors, speakers, and coaches are selling courses too. 
right? Yeah. And it's, you, you, and then you, 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 you go up to a membership and a mastermind and it gives you access to a group. And sometimes there's an event and you pay 10 grand to the event or, you know, there's that whole thing, but there's something deeper than that, which is, or the, the underlying logic, which is each of us in order to, I guess, survive this thing, we have to embody our knowledge in these courses and make at least the base level freely available because that's how you, or some people call this the ascension path where you have a, a lead magnet, which is free to a tripwire where you charge $7 to then something you pay a little bit because you get to meet them in person and it moves up like that. But I believe all of us have to follow this model, but we are often handicapped by the systems necessary to make that happen. I think we're going to be there in three or four years where it should be to the point where it can take all of our past recordings, anything we've ever said, and turn it into a course because the system will be so smart, it can pull out the logic just from random conversations. In the oh same God, way I can't that, wait for that. Have you have you seen that Facebook is one of the biggest users of AI? Uh, it's basically Facebook and Apple, and you could claim it's Microsoft, Cortana, and Amazon. Those are the big four. They call that the four horsemen. But there, um, there's an example of is the, the robot's got to determine is this a, a dog or is this a blueberry muffin <laughs> or is this a peach or is it a butt? Have you seen that? Right? Is it a peach <laughs> no. or is it a butt? Uh-uh. If you Google, you'll see tons and tons of examples, and it's kind of hard to tell, right? <laughs> I, and, I get and confused at the emojis on my phone. <laughs> the peach emoji definitely looks like a butt on my phone, yeah. And that's the most sexual of all the emojis, and there, there's lots of memes about that. But you, you think about how the the systems are able to, to – they're getting smarter and smarter. You know, they they can – um, what is it? Uh, Big Blue now is is beating the the, the Go. It's not just Go, uh, but you know uh, the is able to do Warcraft because it's able to to bluff <laughs> and and be able to lie in the fog of war. These kinds of things. But imagine that it'll be at the point where if we've create if we've got the content, our our vision, our mission, and even in a rough area, it's able to pull that stuff out. Right? In the same way that these bots are able to read in images. And, you know, Apple's getting smarter. They don't even mention they have AI. They're going to release it in, in less than a year from now. Uh, Scoble says so, and I wow. believe him. But he, that, that's what the iPhone ten is next year. You know, it's going to be a... a you mean Robert Scoble? Robert Scoble, yeah. Can I mention one thing yeah. yesterday? Yeah. yeah. My, my year was made because Robert Scoble put out his predictions for the year, and a friend of mine... Uh, said, who, who I don't know in real life, just as a Facebook friend, said, um, Alex Lightman is the best predictor of all things. On political things, he's never wrong. And Robert Scoble <laughs> wrote back on his own wall, yes, love Alex Lightman. So, yes, talk about how great Robert <laughs> Scoble is, because he's great. He has fantastic taste. He's an amazing, amazing I agree with Scoble. Yeah, he, unfortunately, he has the, or fortunately, he has the geek patina of the you know Google Glass and the shower guy, right? Where he's like so much into using the tech. He he'd be one of the first ones to have the implants to to not ever have a credit card or phone anymore because it would just be part of your thing or you know whatever. But he you know even he is saying that this is going to this is creating this is eliminating jobs because of um, the the logic that we are now feeding that's necessary to make these programs more realistic. So all of us that are listening here, we've got to think about, are we preparing our content 
in such a way. It can be record, you know, in a year or however long from now, a program can come in and digest all the things that we have said and turn it into a an Alex Lightman bot. If you, you know, <laughs> can you imagine a Ben bot? My goodness, that might be scary, right? So, so I have a friend named Crystal, Crystal Rose, who is the co-founder of Sensei, and she made for her husband, um, who had a Burning Man unicorn wedding, her present to him, which she said was his favorite present, was to turn him into a bot. So she has the Brock bot. Brock is the chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation and has investments in 44 Bitcoin and blockchain companies. And you can interact with the Brock bot and you don't necessarily know whether it's Brock or not, because Brock yeah. can can jump in when if and when he <laughs> wants to. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, if you if you message me on Facebook, it'll be the same kind of thing. You, you're not sure whether you're actually talking <laughs> to Dennis or one of Dennis's assistants that is that is basically programmed. If they say this, you know, here's some things to say. I mean, 95% of yeah. the time, well, like 90% of the time, it's me. But, yeah, eventually, if you can write rules, if the system can figure it out or you can determine what those rules are, why not? So do you, think, do you think robots will be able to take the job of, like, a shaman or a, or a futurist or a future teller or, um, or, or a, a therapist or a um, – I mean, like, kind of like what, what yeah. Alex was saying, the, the, the work yeah. that Jen and I do is so – dialed in and I mean you're, you're it's not you're not even just looking at the things that people are saying or the stories uh-huh. they're telling you're looking at, at the micro movements of their facial features right yeah. you're, you're looking for inconsistencies you're and, and you're you're comparing it against past experience and and uh, future pacing and all kinds of other things so uh, that that's going to be possible sometime in the next 10-15 years well, if you look at the singularity, most people are predicting that to be in 20 to 25 years from now when we hit that asymptote. And it goes back to the core question of how we define what a job is. Will a robot or a computer program be able to take over what we're doing? It's, it's not the answer is yes or no. It's that the, they will take over components of it, such as onboarding these people, such as getting their basic information, taking care of, the, the mundane things that are repetitive, like explaining what you do and them, you know, getting to, getting to you, like transportation, preparing food, all this, so that the time you do spend is of much higher value. When I was at American Airlines, uh, there were thousands of people that hated me because I, was, I ran AA.com, which was automating a lot of the jobs of the people in the call center. I had to turn my badge backwards when I was through the airport because then people would know, oh, that's the guy right? Taking away our jobs, all these people that used to call in, now they're just going to the website and getting fair quotes, right? right. It's kind of a bad thing, but it was saving the company money. It was actually good for the call center because then when you talk to the human, it wasn't that it was replacing the human, but then when you talk to the person after they already said, yep, I want to go to Miami on these particular dates, but I'd like to go to tropical at destination. And I don't know if I can afford Costa Rica because now, because that's not in the United States and I'm, I don't really know how that works and you know, whatever. Just imagine that, that the program could onboard that, get the basic information. And then you're talk, you talk to a specialist that knows about those particular kinds of destinations and can tell you about Corcovado and you know, how you don't want to rent a car in certain areas. I mean, because of the potholes and people are crazy, you know, 
Like imagine that 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 it deepened the the user experience, right? And that's so it's not that it's replacing. It's not binary zero one. It's that parts of it it's going to take away. And if your skill is the, and it's not for anyone here, you know, in, in this show. But if you think about the vast majority of people out there that are performing jobs that really should not be done by humans because they don't have value on top of that because we're not equipping them properly, that's yeah. the way to think about this, right? And that it's not that it's a job. It's that everyone is a contractor. I forgot the exact stats. I want to say in seven years, at least in the United States, there will be more people working contract jobs than regular full-time employee, I do just one thing kind of jobs. It will, the, I, I really the find that hard to believe because right now there are, uh, I think there are something like 138 million full-time equivalents, but there are uh-huh. labor force participation rate is only 62%. There are 96 million people who are of working age and who could be working, but who are not working. Uh, I, I'm, I just don't see how that many um, freelancing jobs get created. Do you, do you know the stats? Because I, I that that sounds impossible for me to believe. I've scoured friends and the web and all this, and of course you got to be you know you can't believe everything on the internet. But I like to say that 68.3 percent of statistics are made up. And <laughs> what <laughs> what happens is that most of it's not being recorded because people aren't reporting the revenue that they're getting from selling stuff on up for sale or whatever the thing is where, you know, you, you like list your items in a new Craigslist way or the, the sort of piecemeal, the, the, the idea of, of task driven stuff is where everything is going. And it's not just menial things like going to get food or driving or renting your spare bedroom. That's what a lot of people think the task economy is where it is right now. In the same way that Alexa is pretty dumb right now, you know, hey, Alexa, what's the cheapest gas uh, within a mile? Like she doesn't know how to answer that question, right? So people mock that sort of thing. They mock the current gig economy. But I believe that will – and you could argue whether it's seven years away or 15 or whatever, but I think it's sooner than people think because curves are geometric and not arithmetic, right? They, they don't move quickly initially, but they accelerate faster than you would ever imagine. There will be, you know, everyone will be selling their skills in some way. And you you see the same thing with what's going on in higher education. Most of the for-profit higher education guys are getting shut down. Uh, Those schools, you know, I think Phoenix will be next unless there's a whole other story around that. But you will see that, that the vocational piece will increase and people will be doing things that are beyond just the manual trades and, Imagine you could sell your time. What is that? There's that therapist app where you can you can talk to a therapist for 25 cents a minute over whatever your particular issue is, and it's a real therapist that you're talking to. It's licensed wow. and everything. Yeah, I saw that. But you're not going I to. That. I forgot I forgot the name of the app, right? I used it just for a little bit because I wanted to see, but I didn't want anyone to think that I was broadcasting I had a condition or whatever. I just wanted to see. How was it? You know? I didn't get deep enough to, to really tell, I, but I've read the reviews, and if you look at it, you're, you'll, you'll see that people are raving about it. It's not just What's some weak called? robot. Um, I'd like to try that myself. That sounds really interesting. I want to say it was talk something. I'm, I've got to look it up. Yeah, now, I see I it pop up the, in my Facebook feed every once in a while. If I had the, the you know, the, the robot-assisted, you know, the, the augmented memory module, like in the Matrix or whatever, then I, I would remember Right. 
Elon Musk talks about that, the, the neural lace that they're supposedly working on, where you can transfer information, right, from the, 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 the brain to an external drive and, and vice versa, how, and how memory is being recreated and this kind of thing. Um, yeah, you brought ahead. up the statistics before, so that's why I was going with statistics. Um, but if we could just talk about one thing I'm very, re, that relates to this therapy, this is actually good news um, to hear that something like this is available. One of the statistics I'm extremely concerned about is the fact that we have um, 96%, 96 million people who are not part of the workforce, who could be part of the workforce. That's the first thing I'm concerned about. And second, we have 40.2 million addicts and alcoholics. It's 16% of all the people over the age of uh, 12 in the United States. And my concern is as people become unemployed who are used to building yeah. their identities around their jobs, that they're going yeah. to turn to, to drugs and that the drugs are going to be cheap and they're going to be bad for you. And I, yeah. so I'm working on something called Lightman Stargate uh, Protocol for Addictive, Disorder, or, uh, addictive mm. Disorders. Uh, but I, I just wonder, to what extent um, do we have a solution to drug addiction that will, you know, do you agree that drug addiction will increase as automation increases, or is there something that I'm missing where drug addiction will yeah. get less rather than, than more? Like, I don't want to have a nation, yeah. and this is the statistic I was getting at, where we have more drug addicts than we have taxpayers. So right now, um, we've had this millions of people stop paying taxes at net during the Obama administration. So we have a net trend of, of fewer and fewer taxpayers. And I think that we're going to hit within 10 years, we're going to go below 50 million taxpayers and above 50 million drug addicts. And I just, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a, I've read... Uh, Toynbee and others who talk about the collapse mm -hmm. of empires and every other empire in history has collapsed. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't see any empire that has had a problem bigger than more drug addicts than taxpayers. It's the end of the American empire, and if you look at the rise and fall of nations and other books that, that cover this, you're right. And it's not just the baby boomer, you know, the the mouse moving through the snake, where you you then move from uh, two wage or three wage earners to two wage earners that are supporting somebody who's, who's, you know, getting entitlements. Oh, the app is called Talkspace, by the way. You can go look it up and, and see how it works. I think you'll be in Talkspace? Yeah. We, we think, yeah, it's a therapy app, and you can choose what your, what your issue is and talk to somebody, and it's very discreet, and, and they've thought of most of the issues already. Right. You can imagine how AI can be built into that, too, instead of just, you know, having a human ex- a, you know, like a monthly subscription kind of thing, just like your Netflix, but you have, a, you know, someone or something or, you know, you can imagine a bunch of these things that you pay $10 a month for, right? For, for anything, really, right? Everything's moving to a SaaS thing. But back to, to drug addiction, because unemployment's increased, because people will have more forced leisure time because they can't get a job, because the economy is becoming more complicated and people are getting scared, even people like me, are getting scared of some things because they can't keep up with the speed of the, you know, people mention, hey, Dennis, have you seen this? Have you seen that? No, I have not. I have not. I mean, I don't know how I'd have time to even try to look at this. Now I feel like I'm old, like a Luddite or something. Because <laughs> I was of that, drug the same addiction, thing about myself. Drug addiction is, in, is increasing. And, uh, you know, we, you may know of the public 
clients that we've done work for, whether it might be, you know, the MBA or a Rosetta Stone or a Carl's Jr. or whatever, like the big companies that we love to talk about with Facebook and Google. But the ones we don't talk about, which are actually the, the biggest part of our business, is the drug rehab centers. Right? We do a lot of work for them, driving them leads. And because we can't talk about it, and I don't really want to talk about the details of the particular clients that we serve there, but we understand from a firsthand view of spending a lot of money on buying traffic to drive phone calls that then cost people to, which we're actually helping people because they're addicted, they're suicidal. They're, you know, you got to fly them in to the, to the facility and, you know, get them cleaned up and make sure their insurance is good and that kind of thing. But it's very difficult to separate, as you guys know, the the issues of depression and suicide and self worth and the you know they don't their husband doesn't like them and with the substance abuse because most people are using substances to self medicate and that means it's, it's it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing so it's not that they have a drug problem or they're an alcoholic it's something else that's causing them to become an alcoholic yeah. that they're their you know daughter left them. They're they're in trouble with you know. There's some kind of court thing. They're, they have a health problem. There's there's some kind of stress that's eating them. So really the I have I have figured out the Rosetta Stone that unites uh, that basically is behind a lot of drug addiction. I can tell you now or not. It's it's a bit off track. Let's hear it because um, I'd be able to use that in our business. <laughs> sure. The basic problem is this that people who there's a strong correlation between people who use drugs and people who are diagnosed with mental illness and people who have suicidal ideation and so if you look at what's the rosetta stone behind all those things that is a much greater um the answer is that people are uh, if they have this one thing and you know if you have it or not if you have this one thing, you're 400% more likely to have thoughts of suicide and have repeated attempts at suicide. Do you know what that is? What's that? Everybody should know this because the whole world would change if they did. It's having nightmares that are so bad, they cause you to not get a good night's sleep and cause the mm. nightmares to, to affect you and increase your stress during the day. So effectively, this is why, you know, and I'll, I'll give another shout out to Ben and to Jen and to all the people who are therapists. Anybody who's helping people to figure out how to get control of their own consciousness, their own mind, so that they can get a good night's sleep is actually doing the number one thing that people need to do that they blow off and they shouldn't be doing. You really need for your mental health, your physical health, and to not be an addict or you know a risk of suicide, yeah. you need to get a great night's sleep and not have nightmares and wake up happy and refreshed and not terrified and stressed out before you begin your day. Wow. Yeah, studying lucid dreaming could uh, benefit a mm. lot of people, huh? Yeah, understanding Absolutely. themselves. We should be teaching lucid dreaming as early as possible so people know that they can take control of their dreams. And you know I, what? I put this I, word... So since since Bella was an infant, since she was an infant, and we do this with Merrick too, every night when we put her down, we say, you're going to remember all your dreams. You're going to have the best dreams. You know you can control your dreams. And so, so now with, with Bella, now that she's three and a half, we say, Bella, what do you want to do tonight in your dreams? 
I want to go play with baby Jay <laughs> or I want to go hang out with you guys. Okay. What do you want to do when we hang out in, in our dream? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to play. I want to have family time in our dream. Right. And so mm-hmm. she'll go play with toys and every day and then every night when she wakes up or every morning when she wakes up, we say, Bella, what did you do last night? Right. For dream recall. And I mean, mm-hmm. this is such, I, I, I didn't realize that, that Alex, the people that had one nightmares. One of the single best things that you could be, you could be doing as parents. I, I salute wow. you and Jen. This is this is really wonderful to hear, and I, I I hope that people hear this and do this with their own children. This is profoundly useful. You know that it can cost if you're a Californian, it can cost a hundred thousand dollars a month to go into drug rehab, and ninety over ninety percent of drug rehabs fail more than ninety percent of the time. And I've studied hundreds of Jesus. them. And what they don't do is they don't have mandatory exercise so that you're tired, so that you sleep. So the only thing I would add is, yeah. you know, to the, make sure that your kids are getting enough physical activity so that they yeah, two you hours, know, have restful two sleep. Two hours before bed is, quote, unquote, family time, where I just run around and play with the kids and tire them out. Wonderful. Honestly, I loved you before. I loved you even more now that you've told me this. This is fantastic. Oh, that's fun. Very cool. You said people take away their phones two hours before bedtime because of the whole blue light thing and, you know, flux. And you seen the right. stats, like, what do people, what's the first thing people do when they wake up in the morning is they, before they even pee or they make coffee, is they reach over and they open, they, they pull open their phone before yep. having, you know, before meditating, before grounding themselves, before, you know, figuring yep. out what their day is. And yeah, I'm so I guilty think it's of stuff that. like that too. I think your phone. I, I, is an I, I, I break right? myself that, that habit. Say it again. No, so I I think the phone is the new drug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean that. So if I ask myself, what's my addiction, right? Yeah. If I ask myself, what am I addicted to that distracts me? Like I don't get distracted very often, but if I do get distracted, what is it? It's Facebook. It's 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 my addiction to information. It's my addiction to being on top of things, right? Because like you said, if if you're not paying attention, you're falling behind, and and so and of course, like if I see one news thing come out, or if I see one new thing come out, I can't just take it at face value, right? Because another thing we talked about, you 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 can't even tell what's real anymore, right? So I've got to. Right. I've got to check all my sources. I've got to look at everything from both ends. I've got to, I've got to go to websites that I know are going to be bashing that. I've got to go to websites I know are going to be for that, right? I've got like ten trusted sources that I that I can look at, or that you know that the news kind of feeds through me. And so, yeah, there's always there's always something in my head of like, oh man, what if like the big thing, the big thing or two or three things that I'm waiting for to happen in the United States. Or around the world, what if they're happening right now? I've got to check my Facebook feed to see if that's happening right now, right? And so Jen and I will, you know, we do our best to get up and do yoga in the morning, you know, before the kids get up, make love, meditate, right? All this stuff before the kids get up, and and you know, it's it's not always we're not always successful in that, but. Um, yes, put, I, I do make a conscious effort to not check my phone every morning before I do that stuff. And I just, you know, it's, it's part of the culture. It's part of my, it's part of my freaking brain right now. So you mentioned fake news and, you know, trying to keep up yet still wanting to get a full night's sleep as if you're Ariana Huffington and you want to be able to meditate and do these things in the morning before the kids get up. 
and you run across the issue of time because there's not enough time. Just imagine if you go to Amazon, you want to buy something. I know I'm the kind of person I'm going to want to read all the top reviews and I'll end up losing three hours oh, yeah. reading all the reviews oh, yeah. of an electric toothbrush. We're like, oh, no, I just lost three hours because I had to read all these reviews, right? But the, what hap- the underlying theme there for me is authority. If you're a therapist, if you're a, a speaker, if you're like a Mark Lack and you speak professionally for money, then what distinguishes you versus Googling it and watching lots of YouTube videos where people are talking about this and they say you should do that or you should, that you, you should do this, what distinguishes these people and all of us here, what we need to be thinking about increasing is our authority. And yeah. when we're able to increase our personal brand and we are the trusted source, like yeah. for example, I'm one of the trusted sources on Facebook advertising. And, and digital marketing and, you know, the data behind it. Not because Which I, I want to get to next because that's, that's, that's what I want. I'm really excited to hear about with you. So, um, yeah, keep going. To be more practical for everyone here, we all have expertise in certain areas. But, and, and whether we actually have it or not, I'm assuming we do, without the authority, people are not going to hire you. They're not going to see you. They're not going to pay you the kind of rates that you deserve. Right, because your your stuff could be amazing, but someone could Google the stuff for free, or there's this other guy, or you know whatever it is. The authority has to stem from some other kind of trusted source. So in this case, like for me, our company is based on driving leads and sales through Facebook and Google. Right, we know how to take their content and put it out there and drive sales. Like we do this for the drug and alcohol treatment facilities, and we know that we drive a lot of phone calls and probably two-thirds of them, to Alex's point, are suicide. Late night, after 9 p.m., all the, all the leads we get after 9 p.m. are pretty much garbage because they're, they're not going to convert in, in, in admissions, right? Because people, they're, they're on the suicide hotline, and I'm not saying their needs are not important, but they don't result in leads, and therefore we can't um, justifiably spend money, right, to drive leads because we have to drive a certain cost per call and a certain call quality and that kind of stuff. But you go back to authority – we are known as experts in, in using Facebook to drive leads and, and sales. Well, it doesn't matter what I say because I could tell you, hey, I'm really good, or I could tell you some stories about, here's some examples of how we've done this. I hope you find these impressive, right? No, that doesn't matter. It goes back to if, if we're saying, if we want to be known, if we want to have authority, for example, for us in, in Facebook ads, then we need to have Facebook say that, and that's what we do. That's why we interview the people from Facebook. So if you read Facebook's blogs on the best case studies, you'll find a lot of those are ours. The ones on how to use Google AdWords, or if you're a nonprofit, you know, Google has a thing where they give you $10,000 a month of free AdWords. A lot of nonprofits don't know that, which is a real shame. You know, if you're a 501c3 and you're not religious or political and more than half your revenue is uh, from donations and not products and uh, you have a you know, Form 990 on file and you have two years of history, then they, they'll give you $10,000 a month of AdWords. And wow, we manage this. Isn't it amazing, right? Google doesn't even... I didn't, that, that's fascinating. So, yeah. Sorry, so could we, you say that again? A, How do I get $10,000 a month of AdWords? How do I do that? You have to have a nonprofit. Yeah, it's got to be a 501c3. I believe it extends outside the United States. It's at google.com slash grants. And with the Google Grants team... We have put on webinars, and we have written articles. So together, we have taught nonprofits in free sessions that people can register for, like webinars. So you can have thousands. We've had thousands of folks come to these webinars, and they learn how do you apply 
What's in the program? Uh, once you get in, how do you set up your campaigns properly? How do you maintain them? How do you figure out how to use AdWords for nonprofits as, as opposed to AdWords for you know, car dealerships or something like that, right? We put all that kind of stuff out there for free with Google because it establishes our authority in being able to use AdWords, even though we're doing it completely free. We manage these programs for a few nonprofits completely for free because it builds our authority, right? And it doesn't cost us much effort because nonprofits are so bad at AdWords that, and plus it's free money. It's 10 grand, 20, 30, sometimes you can get 40 grand a month. I like Ramin Foundation. You know, Dr. Yunus won a Nobel Prize. There's a leader in microfinance. We've gotten up to $40,000 a month during the Christmas season of free money from Google, wow. right? I mean, that's, that's a great thing. And then we put in just a few hours a month. It's a great donation. It's good PR for us, right? But if you think about things like that, if you associate with whoever, whatever organization or conference or publication has the highest authority in your area, not only are you doing a good thing by sharing with the community, but you are building your brand and building inbound marketing where people come to you because that other organization or publication has more traffic and authority and branding than you do, and it creates something called implied endorsement. So I'll give you an example. Mark Lack, right, he is the young Tony Robbins, and he coaches coaches, and he trains sales organizations on how to sell better and this kind of thing. The whole motivational speaker, Brendan Burchard kind of thing, right? And he was not much of anyone on the public scene two years ago or three years ago. He would agree with that. But because he has published interviews that are not it used to be on YouTube like he would hang out with uh, you name some of these big name people and his interviews would only get a few hundred people you know watching but he started using the the Facebook dollar a day technique which we can talk about in a moment and targeting people that work at CNN at Fortune and Forbes and Huffington Post and, you know, whatever, that work on Ellen, that work on, um, you know, Jimmy Fallon, whatever, and getting his content seen by these people using this dollar-a-day approach. And now he's the, the the host of the Business Rockstars show. So he's interviewing, yeah. you know, Incredible. the Tony Robbins and, like, all, all the Damon Johns and, you know, these, these hey, sorts Alex, of people. Alex, right? weren't you the, weren't you, were you the first – you were on that show, right? I was. I have two things. If you're uh, talking, it's the, the show is the creation of Ken Rakowski, and he still yeah. owns a a third of it. But I was the first Medal Man of the Year, uh, 2005, and I was also uh, on the first very first get, uh, a day. Ken said he wanted me to be a guest on the very first day. So I'm I'm not sure if I was the very first guest or not, but I was one of the first three on the first day, for what it was. Oh, Small world. Yeah, I was on the show like two, two or three months ago. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think I think that's what he told me about you. And it, what, yeah. one thing that he told me, or the, one of the many things that he told me that, that was fascinating to me was that you give away all of your stuff. You give away all of your information, and so mm-hmm. like you have the the thousand task list, right? Which I'd that's love right for you to talk about. That, Good that luck you reading give away it. with all of your information, and then people can yeah. look at it and put it to use or they can just say, eh, I'm just going to hire him and his team. Yeah. And a lot of people in the digital marketing space, there's a, there's a bit of shamanism going on because they want to pretend they have all these secrets or oh, Dennis, why are you telling people how to do this stuff? Cause now they're not going to want to hire you. And I'll say, well, give transparently, share it. We publish checklists 
because you know right here we're talking in, in in this discussion we're talking about strategy and all this which eventually has to result in checklists to be able to take action any conversation that doesn't result in action i believe is fruitless daydreaming so you know we publish this stuff here openly transparently because we want people to see how deep that rabbit hole, hole goes and they'll say oh my goodness i had no idea you could do all these things with facebook and i've got this idea and that idea i had no idea my my online marketing is just garbage because I had this other person who was a friend of a friend, and I, you know, I didn't know any better. Because how could I tell, right? And then they, they, when you do that, they feel a bit of overwhelm, and then it's kind of like this twelve steps thing through digital marketing. And eventually, they're going to want to hire us. But of course, we can't take most people on because they don't have enough money. They got to be qualified. So then they can take these courses, which most of them are free, right? And then other people, we're, we're equipping young adults that are getting certified in our program so then they can service these people that come in. We have no salespeople. We don't knock on doors or anything like that, right? All the business we have comes to us. The way we got Nike and Red Bull is they came to us, even though there's lots of people that do social media marketing and run Facebook ads and, you know, they come to us. And so when, when you're able to establish the authority and people come to you, then it completely changes the, the dynamic and like for Mark, we worked together. He created amazing – he continues to create amazing videos where he's really good at interviewing and just getting the, the key messages and just driving in kind of like a younger Larry King, you know, asking the right questions and having an interesting interview. And then we publicize that. We push it out. We use Facebook to target core audiences, People that are friends of Ken, people that have a certain job title, people that have a certain condition, people that like Ty Lopez, people, you know, that kind of thing. And we use digital as a system. We use the robot to our advantage. We're not afraid of the AI. We actually like Google and Facebook to get smarter and smarter because they're able to optimize the delivery of our message. They're not going to ever create our message, which is that people get that confused, like, will the robot write the poetry or you know, create the movie trailer? Yeah, maybe. But what we care about right now is that there is a message we have. There's our story that we tell through video. And I think Mark's one of the best examples of telling your story through video. You just point the camera at you. He does that all the time. It's like a millennial selfie Snapchat kind of thing. It's, you know, not this perfect studio kind of thing. But, you know, he's just walking around. Hey, everybody, I'm here downtown. Yeah, just walking on the beach. Yeah, dude. Hey, check this out. I just had this thought for you. You know, this is something I thought would really improve your day because of this one thing that I realized. I was reading this book where this thing happened, or, you know, whatever it is you're, you're sharing, like as if you're a friend, yeah, like you know these people, but there's thousands of people listening on the other side. And then you use Facebook and whatever digital channels as your distribution vehicle, and you pay. The key is you have to pay. You've got to pay a dollar a day. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars. And, oh, but I've seen these guys, that, you know, blitz metrics, they run campaigns for, yeah, that's true, we do. But we also test for the little guys. And if you're a therapist, you're a personal brand. People are not – it's not some company. It's because of that connection they have with you. They need to kind of understand who you are. And as if you're just, you know, having coffee or sitting on the beach or walking together, I mean, they need to get that sense of who you are. And that's how people make decisions because they just kind of need to sense your energy and your aura and, like, what you're about and identify and feel the rapport, you know, that thing. And that's what you do with Facebook. That's the most common – most brain-dead obvious thing that people miss, kind of like Alex saying, like, yeah, you need a good night's sleep. Otherwise, all these other things kind of domino on you, right? Yeah. So if you use Facebook properly where you have good content, where people are – and I, I don't mean good content in a lip service-like way where everyone says, oh, you need good content. Okay, yeah, whatever. But video, 
that specifically is, is lightweight and frequent. Many, many little one-minute videos that are not like with perfect lighting and hair every time or on the beach with the, you know, the models and the Ferraris. And that's not what I'm talking about. I know Ty Lopez, that's kind of his thing. And, you know, we've definitely made some, some money off of doing that kind of thing. But, you know, to be authentic and to share your story and, and just get your stuff out there to the right people, right? So you need the right, the right content, which is video that is not self-promotional, that's teaching openly, transparently, like we're doing here. And it needs to get distribution, which is where you use the current AI of Facebook and Google and their way, their algorithm of determining who needs to see what message based on the objective that you tell them. I want people to fill out this form. I want people to enroll in this course. I want people to read this article. I want people to watch this video. I want people to take whatever action. If you tell the system that, then the AI is going to do the heavy lifting and sift through the billions of users and you know, morass of things to deliver your message to achieve that business goal. That's where I really think AI is. It's behind the scenes. Apple is doing that with facial recognition where it's, you can, you know, go into your iPhone and type in the name of a friend and we'll find all the pictures of that person, right? That's AI working for you. That's not you having to go through every single photo and find your, your buddy's image so you can make a happy birthday card in a collage, right? That's where the AI works for you. If you, understand what parts you do and what part they need to do and you put into a checklist. That's why we think checklists are the intermediate stage between getting your knowledge out there and one-on-one doing therapy, which is great. You'll you'll always continue to meet with people one-on-one. That connection will never go away. All the way to full AI simulated experience for the thousands that don't have the time because you don't have the time to sit down with thousands of people one-on-one. So how can they learn and benefit from you? That's the bridge is checklists courses right put it out there so tell us, church, tell us about the church. tell us about the thousand uh, task checklist this thing's a monster <laughs> i've been working on it, it for so many like years it. so it's Jesus. not uh, it's not some theoretical thing it's all everything we have in our checklist is driven by practice because we have tested it ourselves right every technique the dollar day technique how do you set up google analytics how do you run Google ads? How do you build a landing page that works? How do you, you know, set up your server to host your blog? Like, so we have all these checklists that create paths for three types of uh, avatars. One is the student, which is a young adult who's just graduating school. They can't find a job. 90% of them, when they graduate, move back in with their parents, as Mark Lack will like to tell you. Or is it 92? 90-something percent. He, Wait, what? what? Wait, he 92% shot, of yeah, who moves in with parents? Grads, of college grads move back in with their parents after they graduate. Yeah, it's really bad. That's not one and of those made-up statistics? No, it's not. It's, it's actually Google it or whatever. Like, do some research. You'll see it's true. It's really bad. <laughs> I'll do it right that's now. a shocker. Looking. Yeah, and that's that's how uh that's how he was in his previous business. He he did a lot of coaching for these young adults and the way that he would he would close the deal is he would use that statistic to get parents cuz you know the parents so you're spending 100 grand to send your kid through college. The last thing you want is when they graduate then they move back in. Then it's like uh the whole thing kind of backfired, right? So it's it's true. And you know the the the, the standard kind of student who's you know goes through four years of college and graduates at 21 or whatever that whole myth is, is that just doesn't exist anymore because people are taking longer the millennials want to sniff the flowers there's 
there's uh, you know the 30 year old single mom that needs to you know do this thing they, they, you know the face of education has changed but that that is definitely a scenario and and I forgot the number but the number uh, the percentage of college uh, of kids graduating college is decreasing lower enrollment less graduation because of all these other things that are happening could be drugs or social media or having babies or you know whatever right uh, and, and so now you're you're training people to to do your thousand task checklist. Like, you're tra- are you training yeah, so college thousand, grads? Yeah. So the thousand checklist broken into, into three roles. One is these young adults right, where right. they're getting training, getting a certification, which is like a an addendum to their degree. Kind of like you know your degree is not worth anything without experience. So we give them experience working on real clients, usually little businesses, people that are selling courses or providing professional services like therapists. So it's those students. Number two is the businesses. So the businesses know they need help with digital and social media, and they trust inherently that young adults know how to program VCRs and use Snapchat and things like that. And I don't know, I'm too old for this thing. You know, back in my day, we used to have VHS and, you know, whatever they'd say. So so they're the ones who are hiring these young adults. We're creating this job economy, right? Because we create the standard of the training that these young adults get the certification and therefore they can reliably serve these businesses in different categories. Of course, they graduate from the minor leagues up to, you know, working on a Golden State Warriors or MGM or clients that we have that are definitely more sophisticated, right? Netflix, like you're not going to bring some new kid to work on Netflix right off the bat. They need right. to work on a couple mom and pops, and then they can graduate up to. So we, we have to service small business to give practice but before we can have somebody work on one of the, the the folks that are high profile, right? And the third part is partners, which are the schools and universities and conferences that bring together the students or the businesses. So the triad is specialists, businesses, and partners. And we have 300-plus tasks for the path for each of them. Because each of them, whether you're a partner, like you're a university and you're running our program, there's six of them, or if you're – a business and you're trying to drive more leads and sales or get more people into your store or sell more tickets or whatever, or get more, more calls to, for your rehab. There's a path that you go down, right? That you can do all by yourself because the checklists are there. We've published it. And if you're a young adult or you could be a student of any age and you want to learn about digital marketing because you need to make a career out of, out of this thing, or you really like sports and you want to work for a sports team. It's great. We, we have Manchester city, um, we're about to get the Raiders and the Cowboys and some of these other teams, right? That's great. You can work your dream job and follow your passion and, and that whole thing, but you need the, the expertise and the skill and the fact that you're a fan, that's great, but you need to have the skill too and how to do digital marketing to be accountable to sales. So there's a training program for that. So, so we break everything down for these three roles, and each of these three roles is broken into six phases. So there's actually 18 modules for these 1,000 tasks, and each of these tasks has associated exercises and videos and how-tos and articles and all that. And that has been our focus in the last 10 years is building this knowledge. Wow. So that it's all taught by practitioners, not because there's a textbook. For example, I co-authored a textbook called Facebook Nation. It's in 800 universities. It's by Springer. It's a legitimate textbook. It's not some Amazon self-publishing kind of thing. It's legitimate, right? It's $120 if you want the thing. Right? Wow. I'm not saying buy it because I think textbooks go out of date real fast in digital marketing. But that's being taught in universities that say here's the structure 
on how to understand social media. And we know the other top people that teach professors that create the curriculum on how to teach social media to these students. So we're not just teaching these students directly. We're not just working with the career center or the heads of the, you know, the business college at these various universities, but with the folks who speak at the conferences on how you should teach your students or set up curriculum at your college, right? That's what I mean about by establishing authority. That way it's not like, oh, Blitzmetrics said this. Well, no, I went to a conference and I went to a breakout session on here's how you should teach your kids how to, you know, set up Twitter ad accounts. And this is what they said. The person presenting said, well, here's the way Blitzmetrics said, and that's the way I, you know, we, we should teach our students, and that's what I, how we teach our students at our university, so you should do that at your university, right? That's how you create authority. So we put that out there, and it's almost all free. Our hope is that we can fund – because um, the, the students don't pay anything. We pay them. And, you know, imagine getting a first-class education, going to Harvard, getting mentoring, and, and they pay you. That economic model doesn't work. But we don't, we're not donation supported. We're not a nonprofit. So we have to get the businesses to fund this thing because they end up paying for this. So we have to price the packages such that there's kind of an economic balance between the value that the businesses are getting and there has to be enough then to still train the students. But we can't charge so much that you know the value's not there, but we've got to be able to at least cover our costs. So that's kind of a fine line that we're constantly dancing. So we've never, this business was never about making money. I, I made a lot of money when I, you know, I sold my stock. I left Yahoo. I wasn't like retire rich. I mean, if I moved to Costa Rica, I would have been retire rich. But uh, I, I took that money and <laughs> I took the money okay. to start this thing here because I believe so much in education and training. And I believe all of us have something to share. And we just, you know, there, there ha- we have this thing that we'll release probably in a year from now called the Course Builder where anybody can take their knowledge and build a course off of it. Because you can always go to a, you know, a Thinkific or a Udemy and upload your 10 videos and now it's a course or stick it into a YouTube playlist. I don't believe that's the same thing because it doesn't have the logic. It doesn't react. It doesn't have the nuance. Obviously, it's not reading your facial expressions and determining the, you know, how you're feeling or things like that. But, you know, we're getting there. I think that's where everything's so, going to go. So what you, what you just said you're going to create uh, in a year or so, what – how is that going to be different than like a, a Udemy? When you have a, a Udemy is just a substitute college degree. It's an, it's a digital certificate, right? Cause you go through and no offense to, to my friends who are there or at, at any of the versions of, of that you go through a preset series of modules, take a quiz series of quizzes, and at the end, you get a certificate saying, hey, I earned a badge in such and such. Okay, that's great. You, you went through a, a preset string, you know, a path of material, but that's different from actually taking that knowledge and implementing it, actually demonstrating repeatedly that you can do it on a series of therapists, on plastic surgeons, on car dealerships, on whatever that vertical is. You've, isn't it? Wait, you know, if you're a... If you're a therapist and you're looking to hire somebody to do your digital marketing, would you hire someone who has some kind of certificate or degree because they passed the class? Or would you hire somebody who's done it multiple times and they can prove it to you and they can show you and they can log in and you can talk to these other people they've done it for? Yeah. Your peers. Yeah. Right? That's the difference. And 
What is it that makes the difference? Well, the base training has to be there. So I agree that like with the Udemy or Coursera or, or even a master class or whatever, yeah, you go through the stuff, you watch the videos, there's base training, there's classroom learning. That's why you go to university. There's these kinds of things. You learn how to learn, but not even the content itself. Then more important than that is you have to apply it. You have to practice it on the, you know, in medical school, you have to operate on the cadavers before you operate on the real patients. And can you imagine that, right? And, and that's doing it. And when, you, when you're an apprentice, you're not making very much money. You're only making 10, 15, 20 bucks an hour, but you're gaining the skill. And that's what happened in, and has always been the case in classical Europe. The United States sort of missed the apprentice model, but now it's coming back to it. That's what I fundamentally believe. I believe that's why Obama set up the community college program because it's basically vocational skill, not yet the four-year university um, liberal, you know, that kind of, there's nothing wrong with that if you want to be an English teacher, right? There's doing it in an apprentice model where you do that for a few years, and then you have to pay it forward because you're a practitioner yourself. And so we call that learn, do, teach, that kind of model, the apprentice model where you pay it forward, you scale it. There is mentorship plus training. So it's not enough to earn the certificate. You've got to apply it. And the, the value of the certification is in the fact that you have demonstrated you have done it at least three times. You cannot move on to the next task unless you've demonstrated it with someone else looking at it that you've done it three times. Mm, right? That's cool. Otherwise, you just anybody can take the quiz. Oh, it's like the, you know, the drunk driving quiz. You take it online, whatever. You just press next. When either you can trick the system. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to cheat. You can cheat in a real classroom environment You can on a college degree. You can cheat online. But you're not going to cheat when it comes to a real client that has real money and real needs, and you need to deliver real results because the system tracks everything, and our system tracks it all. I'm an analytics person. I ran analytics at Yahoo for quite a while. So our system is all based on tracking. Do you think you there's going to be a way thing. to – do you think there's going to be a way to automate test taking? Can we have AI take tests for us, like – I mean, as long as yeah. we're talking about what's possible with AI, can I have in, can I have a robot like go to like can somebody hire like buy a robot <laughs> to go to college for them to <laughs> sure. take their tests for them? Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. Our, we have a 21 year old CEO and he he hired VAs that would that would do do his quizzes and tests and write essays for him and I consider that pretty smart because the the game of life is can you get Genius. the result? Right? Yeah. yeah, why not? I don't consider, I mean, that's, I don't think the parents will say that you're doing your, and the educators will say you're doing yourself a disservice if you're cheating. And I understand yeah, that. I don't, I don't believe that about cheating, <laughs> but, but I go a step further to say, can you achieve the result? And I don't mean by cheating as in fooling the client that you, but if you can actually deliver the, the leads and drive revenue for their business and do it in a way that's in line with their brand, then I consider that a good thing. And in school, they call that cheating In business. I call that collaboration and teamwork. Right? So I yeah. think school, for the most part, trains you the exact opposite way because you can't talk to anybody. You can't open the book. Dude, yeah. I open the book all the time. It's called Google, right? All the time I'm, yeah, I'm I, I used to have a, the time I used I'm asking a friend for that, for I used to have a friend that would do my homework for me in exchange for me cooking dinner. So while I was cooking dinner, he'd do yeah. my homework. And then, uh, Great. and then the rest of the days, I'd, I'd, I'd copy off of my sister, who was in the same class as me. I think she yeah. looks great. Saves time. Yeah. Uh, I disagree I, I just don't think it's halfway. Cheating. I think that the that actually that the way to get a better education is to do your own work and then learn how to do it and then have other people pay you to do it and then you're actually fulfilling your do it three times thing. So 
part of the reason I was able to um, to go to MIT and Harvard and finish all my MIT degree requirements in two and a half years is that I did so much homework for other people in high school. <laughs> and, awesome. you know, I learned how to do things very, very quickly. So I really don't see how a person who just some rich kid, and I know plenty of really dumb billionaires. Right. I won't say a lot of right. them, but I know at least 10 of them. And, you know, that's how they got through school. And then you can talk to them and you can see that they have money, but I don't see that they have knowledge and I don't see that they make the world a better place because it, when it comes to really complex things, like, for instance, global warming or climate change, you know, they go, oh, well, that's a Chinese plot to hurt our manufacturing. It's like, um, no. And then, okay, what's the next, what are we having for lunch? So I don't know. I can't, I, 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 I agree with everything you've said, but at this point I have to say that, I don't I don't see that cheaters win in the sense of making the world a better place. I think they just make it they they're optimizing their own lives at the expense of society. That's an externality because the measurement systems are not in place to be able to catch that. So it creates negative ex, you know pollution is a negative externality because you generate let's let's say your factory in China and your your pollution goes over into other countries. Other folks are pay, paying the price for it because there's not proper regulation. Or measurement. I believe cheating, if you remove the negative connotation for all of us, is good because it means you got to focus on the thing. Like, so was it Ben was saying? You, you did homework while, or Alex, you're doing homework while someone else was cooking dinner, or vice versa. You trade off on that. Well, it just it means comparative advantage. Like you learned, you know, David Ricardo. If you do the thing that you're better at, and someone else does the thing that you don't want to do, that's multiplying power. Why? In school is built around mostly the idea of remedial education, which is you work on the thing you suck at the most. Right. I believe focus on the thing that you do the best at. If it's networking, if it's you're really good at math, but you suck at you know this other thing, creative things, you're really good at creative things, but you suck at organizing, fine. Have, have a COO come in, have a secretary come in, a project manager, like do those sorts of tedious, repetitive, QuickBooks, whatever it is, or build your website. Yeah. Everyone's just specialized, and I think cheating, when you have it in a collaborative way, instead of just, I'll just pay you money. But the idea of a trade, I think that's great, right? Because then you're doing more well, of what you, you need to do. go to a university uh, like Harvard or MIT that has academic standards, and you actually sign a contract that you promise not to cheat, what then? Well, that's people's moral, moral and ethical things. I, I, don't, I, I don't judge. They, they can do what they do. They, they do. I mean, that, that's up to them. Of course, so, the well, let me, let me jump in here. So, college? Let me jump in. So I think that if somebody's going to college, if somebody's going to college, they better be doing it because they want the education. They better be doing it because they, they, they have something in their life that they need to do with that certificate, with the, the diploma, with the degree. And, they're only going to get the full benefits of that. And if, I mean, if they're going to a Harvard or an MIT, you're paying a lot of money for that. Like you better be getting your value value out of that. Um, well, that begs what, the question, what I, what's the value and why are they there? Is it because that it just looks good? It's a status thing that, that lets you go to the next step. I know a bunch of kids. I interviewed exactly, a bunch of kids that graduated exactly. from Harvard and MIT, and they did it because that was the thing you're supposed to do. Because if not, then you're a truck driver or you're working at McDonald's. That's, it's sort of a dichotomy there. I don't think it's a, a whether uh, people are cheating because now it's more com- you know complex and you need every advantage you can get. So then you're you know taking Ritalin or whatever, even though you don't have a prescription. There's all these ways that people <laughs> cheat. I think it's it's deeper than that. It's why are they even there in the first place? 
Yeah, why do absolutely. they want the degree? Is it because of what they're getting from it, or are they just trying to get that piece of paper? That's a really expensive piece of paper. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. Like, there are a few things that I think people absolutely one thousand percent need degrees for. Right, to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, right. to be a um, yeah. You know, the, the, there are lots of. There let are me, lots then of, let like, me really just ask this: Do you want? Do you if you are falsely accused of a crime? Do you want a lawyer who cheated his way through law school? If you're going to have surgery no, no, for that, your so daughter that's or a, your that's, son, that's a, do you want a person who I'm cheated making. his way through 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 medical school? No, that's a, that's they a silly have been thing. There in the first place. What's that? Well, they look, yeah, have been the, there in the first what, place. What if I'm you saying love is, law, those are, then you should be in there the, all the, the time, not cheating. Yeah, the the people that go to the people that go to school should be people that that need to learn that something that they can only learn from school that they can't get online. So that would be like a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. Those people should Mm -hmm. absolutely go to school and get a degree and they should absolutely do their own work and, and learn the things. Right. So what, what Dennis is saying and what I was, what I was saying too, is that not everybody needs a degree just to have a degree. Right. Like, I mean, like a theology degree or something, right. There's like, like I could, I mean, everything that I know, every, every single thing that I am using in my life for my life purpose and everything that I've ever created came from something that I learned after school or mm-hmm. before school or that I had my headphones on during school. It didn't come from something I learned at school. So, like, I definitely cheated my way through high school because I couldn't stand it. Um, and I... I didn't go to college because I didn't want to, because I didn't need to, because it was a waste of my time. I went for two years because I thought I had to, but then I, it came to a point where I couldn't do it anymore, right? So, yeah, it goes back to what the particular piece is that you're learning. So we know a lot of folks that you could, you know, ethically right or wrong, they were trying to get a degree in marketing, and they didn't want to do the European history and the things that make you a fuller, right. rounded, well-educated, balanced individual – and so they cheated their way on those other things because they flat out found them boring, and they didn't want to do that. And they were spending yeah, the rest the of their time. Wrong. They were building websites and making money on eBay. Like our guy Jake Campoli, he's dropping out of school because he's, you know, had such success selling things on eBay and doing online marketing. Yeah. And he could care less about some of these other things, which you know, the humanities and philosophy and all that kind of stuff. He just didn't want to do it. So I think the problem is not that he he was cheating, but the problem is that he shouldn't have even done that other stuff. Because yeah, it's not absolutely. a fit for the kind of thing that he wanted to be, like what Ben wants to be. You don't learn that in college. Certain things you do need a, a particular environment. Like what's the best environment for any particular skill, right? Yeah. So let me, let me ask you a question, Dennis, something that you touched on a while back that I've never heard before, but I'm, if we had the time, I wanted to jump in and, and, and ask this question. I think now's a great time. So you mentioned fully automated luxury communism. Yeah. I've never heard of that. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> but and then, right, So I thought you were going to explain what it was, but you went into yeah. saying that at some point two-thirds of people were going to be yeah. uh, unemployable. Um, so what, what is this, what is this, uh, this term? Yeah. It's and, and I want, I want to hear this a... from you as, as uh, someone with an economics background. And <laughs> are, is this something that you're saying is going to happen? Is this something yeah, that you're saying is going to happen? All, All of us it? technology geek people believe it's the case. And look, I, I, I understand where people have disagreement. We've had these conversations many times, but there's a certain economic 
sequence that is unavoidable, kind of like the fall of the United States. You know, there's just certain things that are happening. You just can't reverse them. And that is that <laughs> once the economy hits a point where there are more people unemployed than employed, even though they're trying to get jobs, even though, you know, the way that we count who's employed or not is, a, you know, because people then get disillusioned and not looking, therefore not, they're not counted among the unemployed, but they really are unemployed, right? It, people will realize that there's just not enough jobs and the jobs that are there that are still in high demand are require sophisticated kind of training. Now people who like to say, Oh, well you should always go get a job. And those people, they are, they have such arrogance because they assume that that factory worker who's been doing that factory job for a long time can all of a sudden learn how to write SQL and build apps and iOS. Like I don't think so doesn't work like that. And how arrogant of you to just to look at the, and you know, a lot of economists like me are guilty of this because we just look at this macro model saying, look, there's all these, all these jobs. Well, you know what? The people that are, that are out of jobs can't just transition in your beautiful supply demand curve into these other skills. It just doesn't happen like that. And yes, there's huge demand for programmers and future people and technology and whatever. But there's, ironically, there's a huge and growing unemployment and there's a huge unfilled need for technology people, like in Silicon Valley. The average Google engineer, I think, makes something like uh, 135 or 140, right? It's not bad. And they can't hire enough. Facebook and Google, like all these tech companies, they can't hire enough. Yet how can there be such unemployment at the same time? It's because those people that are being displaced are not transferable. And that's something that people don't get. And when that grows to a certain point, you reach a condition where the state has to subsidize their living by expanded welfare programs. And the people who are in the 1% are going to mock these other people saying they're lazy and they don't work hard. They should just get education. Oh, all the information is available on the internet. You can just Google it and teach yourself how to, that is arrogant to assume that that's the case because all these folks like us, we have had advantages. I count the blessings that I've had and the mentors that have helped me along and, if it weren't for that, I would be in some rice field somewhere picking, you know, vegetables or something like that. Okay, but I, you know, I, it's not because of how hard I work or I'm really intelligent or I got lucky or <clears throat> no, dude, you got to give credit and people don't. And I'm not one of those people that say, you know, that's all about the black lives matter and all that. I'm not like that. Okay. But we have to, we, we have to acknowledge where there are benefits that, that we have. And it's not just like, well, you know, white guys get, like, I'm not even, I don't even care about that whole, like all oh, the white guys get all the benefit. Not, not even that. But when you get, when the, when the, when the heat gets to a certain point, as you can see, there are, there are tests that are done in Scandinavia, and I think in Oakland they started doing this, Peter Thiel or whoever started giving out money to people to spend however they want with no strings attached, which yeah. I totally agree. That, that, that makes me feel bad. I want to throw up. I believe that's just against every grain in my body that says you should work for your money and I'm not going to rely upon the government and how dare they do this kind of program and that's my tax dollars. Like, Yes, I get it. But when the economy gets to a certain point, when there's enough of these people, it's not that you're just giving – they're just uh, – you know, you're giving them money and they're just sitting around watching TV all day and playing VR. I mean some of them might. There's, going to be, there's always going to be some degree of that. Or the economic argument of, well, it's actually cheaper. The city of San Francisco found it's cheaper to put these bums in houses than it is when they're on the street because of the cost of them clogging up the hospitals and crime and policemen and like, you know, yeah, that's true. It is cheaper. 
right? Yeah. Salt Lake City has a program where they put homeless people in nice housing, not just like the crappiest things, but like actually nice stuff with nice food and like, dang, I would kind of, I would live there. I would, wow, I thought it'd be just like some crappy government. No, it's like, wow, that's that's better than what I lived in in, high, in, in college. And you know, when I lived <laughs> in the dorms, like, what? maybe I should be a homeless person. And how do I fill out the forms <laughs> and get that stuff? And they give you money too? And they, oh, wow. No, but it's, it's easy to apply. It's, it's, if you look at our current economic condition, yes, all those revulsions occur. But look forward, and you'll see that Falk is unavoidable, unavoidable. The idea of fully automated luxury communism says that at the same time, while, this, while people can't get jobs because the skill gets higher and higher, which is that article Warren Buffett wrote in the Wall Street Journal as an op-ed, at the same time that's happening, the, the, the robots are able to produce things for less and less. Things are becoming cheaper. So it actually is, you know, because you strip away the labor component, you're, you're automating the creation of just about everything. So imagine you could have the best food and the best housing and the best whatever because you don't have to truck in, you know, natural resources from all over the place to assemble it. And you don't need the labor associated with it. Everything can be super cheap and subsidized. Look at the, how tech, the price of technology decreases, right? You have deflationary pressure there. Then why not? Why not have two-thirds of the people getting stuff for free because, they don't, because they're not bounded by the stigma of you have to work to be a viable human being. Otherwise, you know, something wrong with you. I, I believe that that's okay. And yeah, why and, not? And, and I, have I, it so that I, people- I think that is actually going to decrease the drug problem. And um, I, I want to just real quick say that the show record or the, the, the recording is going to continue, but the show for all the listeners that are on right now, it's going to kick you off. I'm pretty sure it usually does. Um, so as soon as the show's over, we'll post a recording and you can listen to it again there. Um, you guys are awesome. Um, so, so what I was going to say is that, um, you know, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, like safety and security are our base needs, and we can't do anything until we have those met, right? And so if you've got your home and you've got your food and you've got your electricity and you've got your mm-hmm. water, you're pretty good, right? You're, you can mm-hmm. sleep at night without having nightmares of what's going to happen to me tomorrow if, you know, like how like the world's going to come to an end. Right. And so yeah. now, now I, I think that, that, and I, I, you know, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, I do coaching and stuff like that. And, and all the time people are coming, you know, people are coming to us and they're just, they're too terrified to quit their job to start their life purpose or they're on life purpose, but they can barely afford to pay rent. So they're trying to go look for another job. And so that's time they can't be spending on their life purpose. Right. Um, I saw mm-hmm. a I saw a cartoon the other day of uh, a friend posted this. It was a cartoon of um, uh, it was it was like a lifeguard, a life coach lifeguard who was sitting up on his lifeguard tower and he was looking mm-hmm. um, and in the ocean there was a, a swarm of sharks circling this guy screaming help and the, the the lifeguard life coach guy was saying just imagine yourself in in uh, in a different place or something like that. Right. But this is the thing is, is most people are um, most people are living like they're in a job where they feel like they're being circled by sharks. They're in a job they can't stand. They're miserable. They're stressed out. 
I mean, I've had so many stressful jobs that I didn't want to go to, but I had to go to because, you know, I, because I needed to survive, right? I needed to commute an hour or two every single day, right? Each way, each fucking way, sitting on BART or getting stuck mm-hmm. in traffic. And I was having nervous fucking breakdowns, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I know a lot of people that are miserable and are depressed because of their job. And so, and, and because of their, their need for survival. And, and here's the thing, you know, if we're looking at creating jobs, why not create jobs where everyone's on life purpose, right? So like mm. when I quit, when I quit my mailman job and I, and I, I started this business, I didn't really think about the job that it was going to create, but we have seven full-time employees that we support, right? So by me quitting my one job, I created seven jobs just up to this point and we're growing, right? We're, we're looking for more people. Um, yeah. So if every, if those two thirds of people were taken care of and like, like, Oh wow, now I can go take classes. Now I can go learn stuff. Now I can go do what I want to yeah. do. Now I can create what I want to create. They can create jobs yeah. for other people that want to assist them. Right? I feel like that's a good way of eating up all those um, hmm. the lack of jobs. Huge. Well, if I can just add on that, the the dirty little secret among entrepreneurs is we all know is that they're all struggling. It's like the duck where it's you know yeah. paddling furiously underneath, but on top it looks smooth. And right. so the young adults that we have in the program, most of them, for whatever reason, are just barely getting by because right. of student loans and they're trying to go to school, which prevents them from having time to work, and they or they end up working at Pizza Hut because they have to pay their rent. But if they had their bills covered, they could do these other things. Not to say we're yeah. giving them a handout, right? And what happens is that they go through our program, they go $10, $15, 20 bucks an hour up to level five. We have a nine-level system. And at level five, we cover their living expenses, right, which is great because then we don't you have to You want to know something crazy? Of it. I got what? a job at Pizza Hut 42 years ago when I was 13 <laughs> years old. So bravo, people who are working at Pizza Hut. Go, go, go. It's a yeah. time-honored tradition from ye olde middle ages. Yeah. <laughs> I worked at Pizza Hut, too. Yeah, I, I made pizzas. Really? I delivered them, all this kind of wow. stuff. Yeah. So the, when, you're, when you're dealing with just trying to, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy, then you, don't, you can't work on the higher order. And then if you look at where Falk has been tested in a couple places, you'll see that these people, they're not just sitting around watching Netflix all day now that their stuff's being paid. They're, yeah, they're actually writing gaining books. other skills. They're doing stuff. Yeah, it's... Yeah, you'll, and just, just do some research, and you'll see that that's the case. That's something that we believe in. If you believe in the inherent good of humanity, if you realize that most people are struggling, then, then you see that there, there is a way out if you trust people and give them the tools instead of just assuming they're lazy millennials and they're entitled and you need awards all the time and clap at them every time they do something. There's a little bit of that, <laughs> right? But then we've discovered that there are folks who like, – there, there are folks that are not young adults because our program is made primarily for young adults because that assumes they have a certain amount of time and they're willing to work at a low rate to be able to you know, gain skills. But there are folks that are unemployed that are coming through our system. They're in their mid-40s or 50s saying, hey, I'm not a young adult, but, man, I really would like to learn digital marketing. I want to, or I just got laid off or whatever my situation. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Can I enter your training? And we say, why, sure, but, uh, you know, you're only going to make 10 bucks an hour and then 15 and 20, you know, there's this whole thing like, you, yeah, I want to do that. Cause otherwise I'd go 
pay twenty thousand dollars to go enroll in this other thing, and your your system's better than that because yeah. you pair real world experience with the training. Like, yeah, all right, you can enroll. Our program's not meant for you guys quite yet. I mean, we're another year or two away from that, but sure. Wow, that is fascinating. <laughs> that is so cool. Um, so every how can every how show... can I use this? How can I use this program? How can I use your program? I've been a paid speaker for decades. Um, what can it? What can I do with your program? I have that Anyone question too. Anyone who is who is a coach, speaker, author, therapist, what, whatever, they're all personal brands. And even though we all have underlying businesses that are they're able to monetize our traffic, monetize the fact that we build a list. I'm not even talking about the fact that if at a certain point, a lot of the paid speakers, they cross-sell to their different affiliates where, you know, you speak at this one conference, but then you're pitching your other thing and you invite these other people, they pitch their thing so you can speak at their thing. You know, like that's kind of, for the people that are not professional speakers, they, they might not be aware that that's sort of how that trading goes. No matter what, no matter whether you can monetize that back end or not, or even if you don't have an email list and you don't have, you know, traffic, then you, you have to build your personal brand. And everything starts with the idea of your why, because, of course, people buy what, your why. They don't buy what you sell. They don't buy your services. They identify with you. And by telling your story, by creating these kinds of videos, which you have to do, then we can apply these different packages. I recommend everyone start with the Facebook for a dollar a day guide. And there's ways to get that for free or ways to hear about it or whatever. If you're so cheap, you don't want to pay the seven bucks, you know, fine. But it's, it's the things that you need to establish your plumbing, as in your website, your very social presences, collecting all your content, making sure your tracking's in place. Then two is making sure you have the stuff that flows through the plumbing, the different kinds of content that you organize in something we call the content library, which is a Google Doc that you format in a certain way, and you have a young adult do it for you. Or some, if, you, if you really believe in something and your content's effective, you, you've built a tribe. And you have loyal people that love everything you do, and they would be willing to have, they would love the, the honor of being able to curate your content and work with you more closely, which is basically free labor, but you know, you treat them with respect, right? So you, you have this content that's constantly being maintained, every mention, every place that you speak, every if you just have, you know, Google Alerts or mentions set up where you find every positive mention, that that's this huge thing. You don't even realize it's there, but you don't have time to maintain it, whatever. And the third phase is amplification which is putting it out there, the dollar a day, um, using it to drive more leads and sales, uh, taking things that are working and getting more. That's the idea of throwing fuel on the fire, getting more out of it. So if you, if you see conceptually how these three phases fit together, the plumbing, which is the structure, the content, which is the fuel that runs through this whole thing, the amplification, which is how do you drive more traffic and sales? You speak at more places. Oh, you want to speak more? Okay, great. Target all the different places you want to speak at. Make sure they see your content. You want to sell more books? Awesome. Push your stuff out there to the other people that would review it so you get this word of mouth effect. You want to sell more coaching sessions because you're a life coach and you want more people, you know, paying you, you know, you have 10 more students that you want to have each month and they pay however much. Great. Amplify the testimonials of these other students. Amplify your knowledge. Figure out what are the three or four things, the, the, the reason why people seek you out and create more interviews where you're uplifting these other people to make it look like an interview and not a testimonial. That drives more, more inbound. That increases your authority. That builds your list. Tripwire, 
all the way up through core offer, upsell, downsell for those people that, you know, do, um, you know, marketing automation, Infusionsoft, HubSpot, whatever, that kind of thing. And it's all just systematic of driving traffic into conversion. And then you run your business in this way. But the key is that you need a process and you need people to do it because no one person can do it because you're busy interviewing people, writing content, traveling, speaking. But at the same time, you don't want to hire an agency that's going to rip you off for five or ten grand a month and then they don't really know what they're doing either. They're just taking advantage of why they think you have money, right? Right. The the way to overcome that is through this process we talked about at the beginning of the show, which is learn, do, teach. The, The idea of learn, do, teach is that you have to understand the principles, the architecture, how these things fit together. And it's not... That doesn't mean become a programmer and learn all these things that are just like, oh, I'm, I'm just, not, I'm not a digital marketing person. I'm more about, you know, being in person. I don't want to learn how to like do WordPress and HTML. That's not what we're saying, right? But you got to see how these pieces fit together. So then while you produce the content, someone else can assist. It can be one of these young adults. It has to be someone in your area. Ideally, it's someone in your tribe, right? And then you have someone in-house. You have what we call this, like two years ago, we tried the term unturn instead of an intern because, you know, it's everything but an intern, but it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's good. But that didn't work. I, I thought it was clever, but it, it didn't. Uh, yeah, we tried. So now we, okay. we call them specialists. And some people, we bring them to conferences too, which is a great way to associate people. And they get a good experience and whatever. And uh, some of the conference organizers will call them minions. The conference I was at in San Francisco, the growth marketing conference, they called them Oompa Loompas. But he'll oh, say, no. Dennis, how many Oompa Loompas are you bringing this time? Oh, Jesus. Like, uh, only, only three. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so you call them whatever you want. But, <laughs> yeah, these, oh. it's great. But young adults are, are eager to learn if you find the right ones. And we've seen some folks, they basically bring their kids in, which I think is like indentured servants or, you know, whatever. But Yeah, I'm, that's why those. I keep having kids. Like, you know, usually, you know, back in the old days, they would make – they would make babies so they have people to work on the farm. I need, I need kids right. to work in my business. These little geniuses coming yeah. in that can do everything I can't do. Yeah, they're 21 years old, and you can pay them you know, 10 to 30 bucks an hour, depending if you give them the checklist. And if they are properly trained, then, yes, they can create value. If you just bring in a random 21-year-old saying, hey, do my social media, good luck. Right. Hey, so, so give us the three things that, that people can do on the call uh, they're, they're listening right now. Three things they can do to, to grow their business right now. I'm glad you asked because we, we talked about that um, at the beginning. Well, briefly. One Yeah, is, we've been touching on it the whole time. To, yeah, but we haven't actually made it explicit. You've got to write down your goals, content, and targeting. So we call that GCT, and that's another way of saying strategy. Your business strategy. People say the word strategy is some fluffy thing. Your strategy is the unique combination of your goals, content, and targeting, and they must be specific, right? Goals have to be smart, uh, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, time-based, right? So what I want to sell or make this much money, I want to have this many people in my community, I want to have, you know, whatever. Then I need content to support those goals because I need videos, ideally. I need interviews. I need high-authority content, right? Kind of like what we talked about the three phases earlier. And then targeting is I've got to be able to amplify that. So the idea of goals, content, targeting aligns with the phases of having the plumbing, the content, and the amplification. So those actually work in sync, and you can see why this fits into a system that is checklist-driven. We actually created a form that's at blitzmetrics.com slash GCT, where it's free. We call that the strategy assessment. 
and it'll help you organize what these different pieces are. Send it back to you. We're not even charging. We just we just put it out there because we're trying to you know like Mark was Mark Lack was saying, just put it out there for free. Yeah. Number two is so, yeah, number one is your strategy, your goals, content, and targeting. Number two is you got to create a three minute why video, and your why video is how people get to know who you are. Brendan Burchard calls it a signature story. You can create lots of them, of course. You're not confined to just one, but you got to start with one. And the why is broken into three parts. Uh, most executives think in threes, by the way. You see that I'm doing this too. Right, yeah. the, the three parts are one is when I was. You tell a story that shows some kind of insight, some kind of vulnerability. When I was 15, I got kicked out of my parents' house. When I was 18, I was working at Subway and somebody put a gun in my head. When I graduated college, I class. moved back into my parents' house. <laughs> yeah, when I was. You know, so it starts. So first part is when I was, and usually it's an age. That way, you don't have this crazy preamble. It launches straight into the story because when you create this wide video, you're going to then boost it later, and you have to catch people's attention in the first three right. seconds. If you ramble, oh hi, I'm Ben, and this is the thing that I've created. Like no, 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 no. People don't care who you are. You need to launch immediately the story. That's why we say when I was 15, when I was, when you know. So when I was, and then. Uh, two is, and because of this experience, you've learned something, you've overcome, oh, you're going to commit suicide, and you know, now you're doing this thing. And now I, what I do is this, right? That's the second part, what you do. And the third part of the why video is I believe. And because of this, I believe that young adults should have an opportunity. I believe that sleep is the most underrated thing that, that helps people overcome depression and suicide. I believe that... You know, automation is going to, you know, I believe that. So, you know, the three parts are when I was, what I do is, and I believe that. So when you put those three together, that's your three-minute why video, one minute each. That's the second part, right? So we said the three things. Number one, strategy. Number two is your why video. Number three is boosting for a dollar a day. You can create great content. It could be amazing. It's the sound of, you know, one idiot following the forest. You need to have the, you need to have it be seen and when you use Facebook, people say, oh, Facebook's so big and Twitter's so big, you know, whatever, and as if they just put it out there, the world will read a path to your door. No, you need to advertise. But advertise is not, hey, buy my stuff. Advertise is what we call social postage, the idea that you're paying Facebook for distribution. But it doesn't have to be an advertisement. You're paying to put your message out there, your why, and people will identify with your why. They'll identify with this, the stories and the training and the knowledge that you have, all the, all the miles that you've already run, you can teach that. You can pay it forward. And if you put your best content out there and you share it transparently, and then you pay Facebook to deliver it, the, the you know, social postman, if you will, it's like the social postage, like I said, right? Then people right. will say, huh, I, that was really amazing what Alex said. Man, I really want to learn more about that. How do I find more about what Alex just said? And then they're going to want to check you out. And they're going to see the other stuff that you said. And then pretty soon they spent two hours watching your various YouTube videos and, you know, whatever. And then they want to sign up for coaching because they know or whatever your goal is, right? Remember we said number one is specify your goals, content, and targeting? If you have that set up properly, then you've already predefined kind of the funnel, which also qualifies who the good clients are. Because the last thing you want to do is get on the phone you know, 10 times a day with all these potential clients that want to hear you explain over and over again what you do. You see, if you drive inbound marketing, they already know what you do because they've been consuming your content all along. So you don't have to explain any of those things. Right. You can get straight down to business. They're already qualified. That, then it's profitable. Beautiful. 
but you're not going to drive, you know, the dollar a day that you're spending. A dollar a day for each piece of content. Because a lot of people say, well, it's only a dollar a day. It's 30 bucks a month. I can't imagine how that's going to make a big enough impact for me. You know, and well, if you have 10 pieces of content, now you got, you're only spending 300 bucks a month because you have 10 pieces of content that you've tested that you found to work. So the, the big brands we work with, they might have 100 pieces of content and they might be spending, you know, three or four bucks a day or whatever. Against micro-targeted how, audience. Uh, how, you said that somebody was doing, um, bringing his attention, his content to the attention of people who work for Ellen. That sounds really yeah. specific. How micro can yeah. you target with these things, and how do you learn how to do that? Oh, you can target individuals. You can, you know, you can upload email addresses to Google and Facebook and use that as a custom audience, as a list that you target. So I spoke oh, with wow. the uh, If you're asking if I knew that, the answer is no. I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. This is. This is a red pill, blue pill kind of moment for you. So I, I doubt I need many your checklist. people are all the way at this point. Yeah. Oh, you will, you will just, your mind will be blown once you realize how easy this is. And I'm not even selling you anything. I just want you to go check it out. Uh, we got a checklist on it to, to, to see how much data. Don't worry about selling matrix. me something. I'm a, I'm a, Agent I, Smith. I, I'm a buyer. Don't worry. I'm, no, we, I love to be. We're already buyers that are just useful give it to, to me. me. Just give me what you got. Agent Smith. <laughs> I'm telling you, a, Agent Smith knows more about you than you would believe. All your credit card data is being matched back to Facebook and Google, and we can target it. People think that like, the Facebook stuff is what people click like on. Uh-uh. It's your actual purchase behavior, the car you drive, how many kids you have. It is creepy how much data is matched back to your Facebook profile, which is the whole topic of another discussion. But here's how this dollar a day thing works as an example. I was in San Francisco, and I spoke at the Growth Marketing Conference. The, the girl who spoke before me, she uh, works at Hotwire, which is that ho- the hotel booking site, and Right. When I was talking with her, she said, "Oh, you're the guy who you're the guy who tar- who targeted all the people who work at Hotwire because you had a complaint because you because you know, Hotwire screwed up the booking." I'm like, "Yeah, that's me." Well, the whole the CEO and all the people in the company they they were up in an emergency because they thought, "Oh my goodness, this thing's like over the internet." And what I did was I wrote a blog post about <laughs> Hotwire. I called Hotwire's little deception because I booked this one thing for two rooms and they actually ended up giving me one room and I was pissed about it. Because we're two guys and we don't want to share a bed. You know, we want to have our own bed. Right. And because you know, you know how Hotwire, Hotwire, like they don't tell you the hotel in exchange you get it for like half the price. Because I'm cheap like that. Hey, economists are always trying to save money like that. No matter how much money you have, there's no money to waste. You never do. Right. Right. But I was so I wrote a little blog post to complain, and I didn't put it on a high profile site. Like I write for Adweek and some other high profile places. So I put it on a throwaway WordPress site just to demonstrate the technique works and anyone can use it. And then. I shared that from Facebook on a page, not a profile. People say, oh, you should check out my page. No, no, you need to use a profile. You need a business page, a public figure page. All of us should have a public figure page. You know it's a public figure page when it has a like button at the top, right? And there's a boost next to each post. That's a page. You have analytics and ads, and it's not a user profile. Everyone gets that wrong. The public, the yeah, author, speakers, coaches get that wrong. So I boosted that from my page, targeting all the people that work at Hotwire, not the people that like Hotwire or use Hotwire, the people that work at Hotwire. <laughs> this is good. And lo and behold, yeah, a couple of days later, they gave me a fund. It was all good, and I spent all of a dollar a day. And the idea of a dollar a day is if you target down to an audience of just like 100 people or 200 people, you can't even spend a dollar. A dollar will give you about 200 people per day. That's plus or minus. It's about 200 people you can reach. So if you're targeting an audience, <clears throat> like for example – I target the people who work at marketing at Rosetta Stone because they're a client, right? And there's only like whatever, 60 people in marketing. 
So they were seeing this all day long saying, happy birthday, Eric. Hey, you know, love working with you guys. And there's this stuff, right? You can make videos. You can do whatever kind of content you want to deliver, social postage. And we're spending like 20 cents a day. We want to spend as much as we can, but there's only 60 people in this audience, all the people that work in Rosetta Stone in Arlington, Virginia in marketing, right? Very easy. It takes 30 seconds to set up that, this audience. This is not some like technical training, very hard to do. Oh, Dennis is sophisticated. No, anybody can do this. Very easy to do, right? That's why you just follow the checklist. And then you amplify that. And it helps people get jobs. It, you can play a prank on your significant other. You can do – there's so – now, the, the audience limit's 20. Now some people say, can you target one person? Yes, you can. But the, the, the audience has to be at least 20. So if you really, really want to hit one person and you know that they're on Facebook, then you upload that email address. Let's say it's a guy. Right? You upload that guy's email address, and then you upload the email addresses of 19 other women. Then – you, you set up your ad, your video, whatever kind of content you want to use to incept somebody, <clears throat> and then you include that custom audience, which has 20 emails, and then you additionally filter that ad for just males, then you're targeting just down to that one person. And you can drive, and then only that one person will see whatever message you have for them. And the thing that worked for Mark Lack, why this dollar a day practice worked, is that when he interviews one personality or is on one particular talk show or is quoted in Forbes or whatever, he wants to then target all the people that work at CNN or work at the LA Times or work at whatever it is. And that's how we get media coverage. So when I get quoted in the Wall Street Journal, I'm going to turn around and target related publications, people who work at these publications. And we spend a dollar a day doing that for each of these articles, right? And that way it looks like you have this massive presence because these reporters, they don't know any better. They're just journalists trying to write the next story on whatever, and they see you as a topical authority because people are intellectually ignorant. Well, we call that rational ignorance in economics for anyone who studied that. The idea that there's so many things. You could look at every – like I told you, you know, I want to buy an electric toothbrush. I could spend, I could spend three hours researching electric toothbrushes, but if I just see the thing's got 4,000 reviews at 4.7 stars, I'd be like, all right, I'm just – I'm not going to spend time reading every single thing. I'm just going to go ahead and buy this one, right? I'm going, yeah. to, I'm going to intentionally be ignorant because I, I don't have time to consume everything and read everything. That's why fake news proliferates because it looks like it might right. be legitimate, right? So you use dollar a day to be able to, to amplify the authority that you have. Any, so each of us here, think about where do we have the most authority, perceived authority or actual authority, and then amplify that to the people who need to see it. That's the dollar-a-day approach. You set up audiences on Facebook inside Ads Manager, facebook.com slash ad slash manage, and then you create audiences. Then we have a checklist on how to do that. And then as you're posting things on your page, your Facebook page, not your profile, then you boost it to those saved audiences, and you test them. We find video works the best. And that is just – it's like so good. It's cheating. It's like you found a, you know, a, a bug in the matrix or something. It's so good. It's fascinating. I've been doing it for years. Wow. I've been doing it since the thing was ever available. I think 2008. I've done it hundreds of times. It's amazing. Oh, brother. I had a friend who was selling cool, stuff. Man. He wanted to sell stuff at Walmart. I'll tell you one more example. He wanted to sell stuff at Walmart, right? He had Elvis bedding, clothing and not clothing, the blankets and pillows and sheets, you know, Elvis stuff. He had like the license from the Elvis whatever estate. He wanted to sell the stuff in Walmart. So we took his stuff, 
<clears throat> it took a little bit of a while to get it going the right way. But, but then we targeted all the people that work at Walmart in Bentonville. We don't target all the random Walmart associates in, in your local town. That's just wasting money. That audience is like 200,000. It's probably like a million people by now. But we want to target just those people <clears throat> that worked at Walmart in headquarters that were uh, purchasers, that were, you know, the buyers, right? Sometimes you target down too far, but just simply targeting the, the few thousand people that work at Walmart so that they, they could see the this the stuff my buddy David had. It worked, and his stuff's in Walmart, right? I'm not saying it happened wow. immediately. It takes time. But the but you can use Facebook as a delivery vehicle. And I don't know, in Facebook, I think they kind of frown upon me giving these talks on how to do this because they think people are sort of cheating the system. But you know what? They, they built a system for people to take it to, to use it. I mean, that's what, that's what it's meant for. Right. So where so can people about that? Where can people download uh, this this thousand task checklist? Where can people uh, get everything? Oh, you, you they don't want to start with a thousand. The, the, the thousand tasks you're you're going to end up throwing up trying to. Yeah, there's too many things you'll get confused and then not I, be happy. I have a team to implement we, it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the the full thousand is not available because the third track is the partner track and that's a technology track, right? So we said there's three tracks. There's a student track, there's a business track, and there's a technology track. But for all the people that are businesses wanting to grow or coaches or therapists, they should start with the dollar a day. And the dollar a day guide then has links to all the subsequent guides because we want people to see early success, right? If you find immediate success, then you're going to do this other stuff. But there's no sense in in going down this giant journey without having, you know, feedback that, that continues to validate as you go. So if you start with dollar a day, then go to blitzmetrics.com slash FDD, which is Facebook for a dollar a day. Everything was, is three letters. You're just like, you know, we have rules of three. Everything's in a triad in our company. Yep. I, I, so I do dollar that too in our business. Start. Yeah. That's how you tell their executives. Everything's in threes. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of our principles are like trust, trust, commitment, surrender, voice, breath, movement, um, yeah, just threes. Yeah. Yeah. I can never Training seem to shorten perfect. it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, the tripod effect. Cool. Okay. So blitzmetrics.com slash FDD. Yep. For Facebook for a dollar a day, three digits letters. Awesome, man. Well, so is, is there any last, give any last words, any, uh, any last things you want to say? We've been, we've been on for two hours. Um, Alex, do you have any last questions? <laughs> Um, this is, this is, sure. This is um, who are the examples of people who have done this well, who have described their their path to success, or is that all in your materials? It's in the material, and we teach from actual examples. So there's hundreds of examples, and we don't even like to use ourselves as an example because most of the public figures out there like to use their own, like Tony Robbins and Brendan or whatever. They like to use themselves as examples, but it's kind of hard to replicate that because it's not fair because they have an audience and that's what they do. So we like to use regular people as examples. Everything we do is by other people's examples just to show that it's doable. It's awesome. Fascinating. All right, brother. Uh, any, any last words? Hey, uh, there's no, a lot of cool you. stuff well, here. Uh, oh, yeah, thank my, you. My this last is great. This is, a, a, this is a, a, a red pill, blue pill moment. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Take action. Don't, don't just be overwhelmed and in awe of all these things that are possible. It's just like if you want to, you know, you want to run your first marathon, take your first step. You want to lose 70 pounds, start by just walking down the street to lose one ounce, right? Start by 
there's a couple simple things that you can do in the dollar a day technique. And I'd say everyone start there. There's a lot you can get. This thing will get really complicated quickly if you want. But start with just, you know, crawl, walk, run. Start by just making your why video. Boost that post and figure out what your strategy is at blitzmetrics.com slash GCT, right? Goals, content, targeting. Cool. Okay, great. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Dennis, this has been Thank you, everybody. fascinating. This has been incredible. Um, I'm definitely going to send this to all of uh, all of my clients, all the people in our programs. This is just this is this is good stuff, man. Red pill, blue pill. Um, thanks for everything, and uh, I'm sure I'm going to be hiring your team soon. Let's do it. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Ben and Alex. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy, Happy Christmas, New Year, everybody. Talk Cheers. to you soon. Right, talk soon. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.